I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pitt never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen. In this episode, we are going to be talking mostly about Pitt football's crushing loss to Miami on Saturday for the homecoming game. It was a 16-12 loss, and Pitt, for much of the game, they played behind, but there was always sort of that sense that they were going to find a way to win it. And at the end, they found a way to lose it. They did take the lead, and then they found a way to lose it. And... The story of this game is essentially the same old story, the story that we've seen week in and week out, which is the defense is really good, the offense really isn't, and it's just going to come down to a close game between which one of those two units wins out. And against uh, Delaware, it was the defense that won out. Against Duke... It was the defense that won out. The offense did have a good game against Duke. Against Syracuse, it was the defense that won out. And then against Miami, it was the offense that had the bigger effect on the game. The defense held tight as long as they could, but you can only play great defense for so long. And ultimately, they gave up a touchdown late in the game. Miami took the lead. And while there was plenty of time and three timeouts for the Panthers' offense to come back, they they couldn't do it. And there was really never a question if they were going to do it because we haven't seen anything outside of maybe a couple moments against UCF, a couple moments against Duke. We have not seen much uh, to, to lead to the assumption that that was going to happen. We certainly didn't see much in that game. And I think that's what's frustrating is you can see some of the things that they're there. I mean, they did it against Duke. They did it against UCF. They can do it, but they can never do it consistently. And certainly on Saturday... There didn't seem like there was any chance that the offense could get it done. There was just nothing in that game where you thought, okay, yeah, now the offense is going to turn it around. Because that just never really seemed like an option. And what you could say is maybe even more frustrating about this game is that it seemed... We all seemed to see it coming. Where, I mean, we we do the picks every week on Cardiac Hill, and we pick who we think is going to win... And this week, we all picked Pitt. And yeah, I I think especially when we saw that everyone had picked Pitt, there was sort of that that, uh, trepidation. But I don't think anybody, and I'm speaking for for the rest of the site, I don't think anybody really felt confident about that pick. I know, and I tweeted this before the game, I think on Friday after the picks came out and we had all picked the Panthers to win, I said... Yeah, I picked Pitt, but I think this is about, I'm at about 51%, I think Pitt's going to win, 49%, I think Miami's going to win. This was not a huge shocker. There was always a good chance that Miami was going to win this game. Not because they should have won the game, but because Pitt never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. 
they come out in a game where they're favored. If they win, maybe they take first place in the Coastal. Things are looking good. It's a team they should beat. They're on a roll. And Miami's coming off a brutal loss to Georgia Tech. And so all the signs point to a Pitt win. But if you follow Pitt, you know that when all the signs point to a win, that is when a loss is probably coming. And Meanwhile, when all signs point to a loss, Pitt is certainly still in the game. Uh, and, and they could certainly go ahead and win that one, as they did against UCF. And they've done in the past, of course. But, yeah, in this game, all the signs pointed to Pitt winning. And so because of that, we all knew there was a chance this was going to happen. This should not have been a trap game because, again, everyone that follows Pitt knows this is the kind of game, the game that they're supposed to win, that would be really huge if they do win. That's the game that they end up falling short on. That's the game that they end up losing. And so it's frustrating, I think, because we all saw it coming from a mile away. And especially at the end, that seemed like a a slow-motion car crash. You could see... Once the offense took the lead, you could see that they were that, that the defense for the first time in the game because they played a great game. But you could tell that for the first time in the game that they were going to have a bad drive and let go of the lead, and that happened. Not in the first drive, actually. They got the ball back, and then you thought, okay, Pitt's offense. They just have to run out the last five minutes and change of the clock. That's all they have to do. But you knew that wasn't going to happen. I think we could all see this coming, and then when. Uh, Miami's offense got the ball back. Again, I think we all saw it coming that they were going to find a way to march down the field, and they did. And then certainly, even though uh, Pitt offense got the ball back at the end for one final drive, I don't think anybody predicted that they were going to do anything with it. And everyone was right. So what I do want to do is break down some specifics of this game because there, there there's been talk about what the right call, the wrong call, what lost the game, things like that. So let's talk about, first, the decision to take the field goal. So it was fourth down, and they were on, I wasn't sure if it was the one or the two. I was at the game, and so I I wasn't watching on TV, so some of the things aren't as specific as if you're watching from uh, from TV and, and a high angle. But it seemed like they were on about the one or two yard line. And the question is, do you go for it? I think it was the two. Do you go for it and hope that you take a lead that would be field goal proof? Essentially, well, okay, even if Miami gets in field goal range, they would need a touchdown to win it. Or do you just kick the field goal and take the lead in the fourth quarter when you can get it? And Narduzzi decided to kick the field goal and take the lead. And I 100% support that decision. I guess I could see an argument being made for why you want to give the defense more padding and make Miami score a touchdown than a field goal, and maybe that they play differently. But ultimately, it really doesn't matter because Miami did score a touchdown. So either way, they would have taken a lead. And it didn't really end up mattering, of course. But I am 100% fine with the decision to kick the field goal. I'm also I also thought it was a good idea and I wasn't sure I couldn't tell when I was there if they had planned all along to take the delay of game penalty and move the ball back or if that was just accidental because they weren't sure if they were going to go for it or not. 
I think it was very smart to take the delay of game penalty because we saw in the Penn State game when they stupidly took a field goal when that would not have taken the lead. So it's an incredibly different circumstance than this game. This game, a field goal gives you the lead. Against Penn State, it meant nothing. But in that game, they kicked the field goal from the one, and Kessman missed it. Because when you're at the one, that is a tough angle, unless you're from the center of the field. And in this game, they were on the left hash mark, and they did the smart thing, and they took a delay of game penalty to move the ball back, and then Kessman was able to drill the field goal. And so with that, I am perfectly fine with it. Kessman made the field goal, and most importantly, you took the lead in the fourth quarter. Anytime you have a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter, especially at that point, it was pretty late in the fourth quarter, you take the lead. I think sometimes it's it's a little bit ridiculous when teams maybe will do that in the first quarter. They'll they'll you know be begging for every single point they need to take the lead in the first quarter or even the second. I think that can get a bit ridiculous. But in the fourth quarter, you tend and they did it, and they put themselves in the position where all the defense had to do get some stops and or. All the offense had to do was just run the ball and run out the clock and get a couple first downs, and they win the game. That's all they had to do because they kicked that field goal and they took the lead. They didn't have to worry about uh, rushing the offense. They didn't have to worry about uh, we can't let Miami have a long drive when they've got the ball because that'll waste clock. They didn't have to worry about any of that. All they had to worry about was good absolutely in support of taking the game. Where they lost the game, it's very air. You were just hoping that maybe something's going to happen. The offensive drive that started, I believe, at 5 minutes and 44 seconds. When the offense gets the ball back, after taking the lead and the defense put up a good stand, they get the ball back, waste a few minutes. Even if you don't spend the drain the entirety of the clock. But if you bring the clock down to maybe a minute, minute and a half, you put the Hurricanes in a very difficult position. and Or maybe you can hold it on and you don't even give them the ball back. All you have to do is drain the clock. And so when all you have to do is drain the clock, I am perfectly fine with running the ball two times, the first two plays. You don't want to throw an incomplete pass and stop the clock. I get it. But then third down and long, I think it was third and nine, they decide to run the ball, and it was so obvious also that they were going to run the ball. There was no doubt about it. There was no trickery. And Miami knew it. Everyone in the stands knew it. And to me, that decision made no sense. Because Miami clearly knew what was going to happen. We just saw it the first two plays. And they were expecting a run. Because they knew that you wanted to drain the clock. All you have to do is find one good passing play to extend the drive and keep things going. Doesn't have to be a long... Just get the nine yards or whatever you needed. Get the first down and continue to drain the clock. And they couldn't do it. They ran the ball. Nothing happened, as we all suspected, and because of that, they had to punt the ball away. And even there, the game wasn't lost. I mean, there were still multiple opportunities. Kirk Christodoulou, the punter, he's had a good year, really all year. He's had a very good season. The most important punt, not just of the game, but really of the season, the most important punt. And he blew it. It was a bad punt. It gave Miami really good field position. And especially when a field goal would have done it. And so they only needed to get, I think it was 30 yards or something from that point. So when they needed him the most, it was a really poor punt. That didn't help. And then, of course, the defense having their one bad drive of the game really didn't help. But you can't put this on the defense. 
excellent all year long, and they were excellent on Saturday. They're number 14 in the nation in total defense. They're 6th in the nation in rushing rushing defense. They're 8th in passing efficiency, 14th in the nation in tackles for loss, and number 1 in sacks. They have been incredible. And so you cannot fault the defense for this game, even though they could have won it at the end had they stopped Miami from scoring. And so, yeah, you could talk about the defense. Yeah, you can talk about Chris Tadulu and his bad punt at the end. And all those things, they were bad at the end. They could have helped Pitt win at the very end, and they did not. But this game has to come down to the offense. The offense that couldn't get it done at any point. They couldn't score a touchdown. The offense that couldn't drain the clock with five minutes and change to go. The offense that couldn't catch a ball. To me, it was so crazy because you've got all these receivers and it just seemed, for whatever weird reason, nobody could catch a football. And to their credit, Kenny Pickett did not have a good game throwing the football. He was 18 for 32, 146 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. One of them was one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. I have no idea what the plan was, who it was intended for, but there was nothing there. And so because of that, you know, Kenny Pickett, he had a bad game. And the rushing game couldn't really get going. Todd Sibley was having a good game, what could have been a breakout game. 54 yards on four attempts. And then he got injured. So he's done. Uh, Valik Carter had a couple good plays. A.J. Davis looked decent. But still, no run game in the repertoire which is really hurting the Panthers because if they're going to have a good offense, that's going to be how they're going to do it. Pickett did not play well, and the receivers kept dropping passes. I think it was a half a dozen dropped balls from the receivers. Your two leading guys, Maurice French, Taysier Mack, they are your guys. They had bad games. They There were a couple balls that were right in their chest, and they couldn't make the catch. So when your two top receivers, maybe your two top players on offense, the two most talented guys in the entire offense, when they've got a bad day, when they're not catching balls, you know that it's going to be a struggle. Also, the tight ends, I have no idea what it is with that position, but they have been useless this year. And I'm sorry to say it, but they have been useless this season. Now, maybe it's because they hadn't really used tight ends for the last few seasons under the previous offensive coordinator, and so no tight ends who were that good committed to Pitt, and so now when you want to use the tight ends, you don't really have anyone who's talented. I don't know what it is, but all season long, they've got two tight ends, neither one has stepped up, and they didn't step up in the slightest on Saturday. Will Gregg didn't do anything. He had one reception for 11 yards, but quiet game from him, and then Nakia Griffin-Stewart had an atrocious game, multiple drop passes, just could not hold on to a football. I have no idea what he's doing out there, but not having receivers who can catch a football, and especially tight ends, because the other receivers, the wide receivers, they've shown they can do it this season. The tight ends have repeatedly shown that they cannot do this, and they were relied upon again, and they couldn't get it done. 
And so you add all that up, Pickett having a, a pretty bad game, the tight ends not being able to do anything, the wide receivers having a, a sort of a rare off day. It was just a bad day for the offense. And yeah, you can talk about the defense at the end. And yeah, you can talk about Chris Dulu's punt. And yeah, you can talk about the decision, field goal, touchdown, whatever. The offense had a bad day. They could not score a touchdown. And that is the reason Pitt lost. And there are other parts of it, other things you can take away. Pitt playing not to lose on that five minutes and 44 second drive. And clearly not just hitting the brakes and just playing very, very conservatively. They've done that multiple points this season. They've been able to escape. They did that against Duke and they blew the lead. Then they were able to come back. You wonder if they see that strategy and how it hasn't really worked. Then maybe it's, uh, it's not the smartest thing. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see moving forward, but if you play not to lose, it's going to come back to bite you, and it did. Another takeaway from the game is how frustrating it's got to be because the Coastal was wide open. Pitt's goal is to make it back to the ACC championship game this year, and they had every opportunity to do it. But again, the recurring theme is that Pitt never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. What they didn't know at the time of the game is that later in the day, Virginia would lose They would lose their game, which left a wide-open spot for the Panthers at the top of the ACC Coastal Division, and they could not capitalize on it. Virginia lost, Pitt could have been at the top, but the Panthers lost, and because of that, it's going to be really difficult. Now, the UVA loss did throw a lifeline to Pitt, because if UVA had won, it would be almost impossible. Then you're essentially two games back of Virginia, because they've got the tiebreaker, And it's almost impossible. Because Virginia lost, there is still a chance that Pitt could win. But they could have put themselves in an excellent position in first place with maybe a a game cushion if if Virginia loses another game. and, And there's a real chance that Pitt can do it. Now, at most, there's an outside chance. And it's frustrating because it went from if Pitt wins that game, they're in first place. They've got an excellent opportunity to make it back to the ACC championship. Now it looks very unlikely. It still could happen, but it would have been probable, not a maybe, it would have been probable if Pitt had won that game. They would have been in the driver's seat. They would have controlled their own destiny, and now they don't because they lost that game, an extremely frustrating loss. The good news is, though, they've got a chance to bounce back. They're 5-3 and three right now, and they're one win away from bowl eligibility, and they've still got four games to play. And next week is the easiest of the Final Four. You've got maybe the worst team in the ACC this year, Georgia Tech. Now it is down in Atlanta, but the Yellow Jackets have looked bad this year. They're switching everything about their team. They're finally getting away from the triple option. They cannot get it together. First year under a new coach, and so it's excusable. I think Georgia Tech will be able to turn it around. But this is a game Pitt has to win. And it's coming at a good time for them because they need a win. They need to get to the six wins. They need to get to bowl eligibility. And they they need a victory after just brutal defeat. So that's the good news is they've got every chance in the world to get a win this weekend. We don't know if they'll be able to get it done, but they better is, is basically the, the conclusion of this. They better get it done. Uh, because they need it badly, and they are heavily favored. Not just as they were favored against Miami. They are heavily favored. And yeah, I know Georgia Tech can beat some good teams. They just beat Miami, but Pitt has to win this game. And in terms of Narduzzi's future, 
after every loss, there are going to be people saying he's not the guy and you got to get rid of him or they're never going to do anything under him. I think all that is premature. I think this season is on pace for what they what, what the expectations were, what the goals were, which was seven wins because of the difficult schedule. They still have a chance, to, excuse me, to get to seven. They've even got a good chance to get to eight. There's an outside chance they get to nine. I don't think that's going to happen. But to me, the goal heading into the season was seven and five. They have every opportunity to still do that. All they have to do is go two and two, and then you you pack it up for the season. You, you know, play a bowl game, and then you look forward to next year. Next year is the big season. So I don't think that there's any reason to suggest that Narduzzi isn't the guy. They built a great defense, an excellent defense at Pitt. They have to figure out the offense absolutely have to figure out the offense and they have to make adjustments. But if they do those things, they come out this weekend, they beat Georgia Tech and they they make those adjustments, the offense gets a little bit better. They could still have a good season, maybe even a really good season. But they've got to turn it around this weekend down in Atlanta. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come right back uh, after a word from our new sponsor. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, welcome back. Uh, there's going to be something, I'll start really next week, but I'll give a little bit of a preview this week, and that's going to be rankings. So starting next week, I'm going to do my uh, my top 10 in uh, college football rankings, but what I'm going to start this week is going to be top five ACC power rankings, because at this every week we do a uh, King of the Hill on CardiacHill.com, uh, uh, Anson, duh, he ranks power ranks the entire conference from top to bottom, and you see uh, what teams are where. But I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in my two cents. So I'll I'll start this week, and of course, number one, Clemson, no doubt about it, one of the best teams in the country. And again, next week I'm gonna do my my rankings for college football, I'll do a top ten. And so I'll let you know next week where Clemson is. I think by that time it'll be a little bit settled. I think also that's when, either that week or the next week, I think is when the college football playoff starts putting out their rankings, which are really the only ones that matter. But, okay, Clemson number one in the ACC. Number two, Wake Forest. Their only stumble, they're six and one. Their only stumble on the year was losing to Louisville in a very weird game. 62-59 to was the score. Uh, there have been times when Wake has not looked great, but they've gotten it done, and so for that, they are number two in my power rankings. Uh, number three, I'm going to go uh, Louisville, and I know that Louisville beat Wake Forest, uh, but I still think that uh, Louisville, with their, their three losses, they're sitting at five and three. I think right now they're third in the conference, and I think the reason, I, to me, it's been UVA, either third or even second. But this past weekend, Louisville beat Virginia. It was 28-21, and the Cardinals came out on top. So because of that, I've got to go uh, Louisville at uh, at third. And then with the same record, but uh, just behind in my rankings, I've got to go Virginia in fourth place. They've looked good this year, but there were some high expectations, and they have sort of underwhelmed. They lost to Notre Dame. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but then they lost to Miami. 
And then after one big week against Duke, they lost to Louisville this past weekend. They've lost three of their last four. I think if Pitt played Virginia now, Pitt would probably win that game. And so Virginia, they've stumbled a little bit to fourth in my uh, in my rankings. And then I'll put Pitt at five. Uh, I know they just lost to Miami, but still the Panthers are the only, uh, or excuse me, they're, they're one of just two other teams in the conference with five wins besides the ones that I've mentioned up until now. The only other teams with five wins are Pitt and Virginia Tech. I don't think Virginia Tech is very good. Um, they, they lost to Boston College, which is a bad team. Uh, they barely beat North Carolina, took them six overtimes. Uh, they struggled a little bit against Furman. I, I just, I think Virginia Tech has been overrated. Uh, they were last year and I think they are this year. So I'm going to put Pitt because against Miami, yeah, the Hurricanes won, but Pitt certainly did look like the better team outside of a couple invariables. I mean, Pitt should have won that game. And so even though they lost it, I will put Pitt at number five in my ACC power rankings. So I'm going to do that uh, each week, and then we'll also do uh, top 10 in college football just as a, a little fun thing to do. Also, looking around uh, Pitt's campus at the other sports, uh, soccer, they came back, Pitt men's soccer, came back on Friday night. They were down 3 nothing to Duke. Very good soccer program. The Panthers scored four goals in a row. They won four to three at home. It was a huge victory for Pitt men's soccer. And I've said this before in the podcast. I've said it on Twitter. Jay Vitovich, he is the real deal. As head coach of Pitt men's soccer, when they hired him, it was a big hire. One of the uh, few things that Scott Barnes, I think, really did a good job with. And he has been doing an excellent job with Pitt men's soccer. They're headed in the right direction. I think they're going to keep getting better and better. They're going to have some guys go into the pros. They've already had it uh, coming from last year. And uh, Pitt soccer in a really good place, and they got a big win. And then Pitt volleyball, another perfect weekend. They swept Notre Dame on Friday. They swept Louisville on Sunday. They moved up to number two in the country from three to two. It is their highest ranking ever in the history of this program. They are forced to be reckoned with. Uh, you, the only thing really is you're just waiting for the regular season to end and for uh, for the, the playoffs to begin, for the conference tournament, for the NCAA tournament, because... You want to see what this pit team can do. I mean, they're in a really good spot. There's no doubt about they're going to be a high seed. And you want to see what they can do. And so that that's the only thing. You're just starting to get a little bit impatient. You want the postseason to begin. But it has been a phenomenal year for pit volleyball, even better than the last couple years where they were really exciting. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you have not jumped on the bandwagon, absolutely do it. Volleyball is great. And pit has mastered it to an art form. It's really incredible. And uh, one more thing before uh, Panther of the Week. I just want to mention uh, the uh, sort of the, the gratitude uh, for the Pitt community because this uh, past weekend was the one-year anniversary of the shooting at Tree of Life Synagogue in Squirrel Hill that killed 11 people, uh, injured six others, and I know for the Jewish community, both in Pittsburgh and really around the world, that, that shook things. It's the, the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history. And it's still surreal. I know it's surreal for me as someone who is both Jewish and has spent uh, a good amount of my life in Pittsburgh. And it's still surreal that something like that could happen um, 
in in Pittsburgh, in Squirrel Hill, in this really incredible place. And a year ago, I spoke on it uh, with a lot of depth and a lot of thought. And I thought I, I wanted to mention it again, that I'm really grateful for how uh, the, the Pitt community has sort of rallied in the situation. It was an unbelievable, uh, unbelievably difficult time when it happened. But I know, I mean, personally, I had friends, friends from Pitt that I met at Pitt, and, and they reached out to me on the day that it happened and asked how I was doing, uh, just totally out of the blue. Uh, I know the university, they did a great job. They had a vigil at Soldiers and Sailors, is where, where the uh, the memorial was, and I they, they did a great job sort of accommodating people to the campus. The whole city has done a phenomenal job. And uh, this week I saw one of the uh, survivors was at a pit practice. They had a moment of silence at the game. Um, the, the stronger than hate stuff is everywhere. I, I think Pittsburgh and Pitt and really everyone involved, they did an excellent job supporting the community. And I'm grateful that a year later, uh, people, it, it still has a big effect on people. I, was, I went to the synagogue on uh, Sunday and uh, it was really powerful. There were a lot of people there. It was one year exactly. And it, it, you still can't really wrap your head around it. But there are a lot of people who... Uh, uh, and I think the, the community has done an excellent job uh, sort of rallying to, to help in whatever they could do. And you've seen it across faiths. I saw the Islam when I was at the synagogue, the Islamic Center of Pittsburgh. There were a bunch of kids uh, from there that, that had brought signs, and uh, there have been a lot of excellent things interfaith. Uh, uh, people of all different races, different backgrounds, people from all over the world have sent things. It's really been heartwarming to see. And uh, the only thing is because there have been so many mass shootings that. For a lot of the country, you don't think about it uh, after it happens. You think about it then for a day or two, and then people move on. And that's unfortunately what the situation is, and it has been for all of these uh, mass shootings that happen. And the rest of the country moves on, even the most horrific ones. You've got people who are living with that day to day to day, and that is all they think about. And the rest of us move on, and that's an actual human reaction because, unfortunately, these things keep happening. But it's incredibly important that not everyone moves on, that not only the survivors and the people directly affected are the ones who are still honoring it and commemorating it and thinking about it. And so while I noticed this was the one-year anniversary and there was not much about it in the country, there, there were some nice words from some politicians and certainly within Pennsylvania, the governor, Governor Wolf, and the Attorney General Josh Shapiro, and Mayor Bill Peduto, and I mean, there were, there were some great words uh, being said, uh, but, you know, across the country, it was not a, a major story, and again, you sort of understand, yeah, it's, it's not going to happen, the Las Vegas shooting, and the San Bernardino shooting, and uh, the El Paso shooting, and all these things, people can't really even keep up, because there are so many, unfortunately, but it's really important that for Pittsburgh uh, that they remember because I know for the Jewish community across the world, that is something that, that, that they will not forget, that we will not forget. 
and that's going to be something that will be with us forever. And I appreciate, and it's only been one year, but I, I hope moving forward that the community of Pittsburgh and Pitt fans and everything, that that sort of stays with all of us uh, and we don't just sort of forget it and move on. And yeah, you're not going to think about it every day. I'm not expecting anyone to. But that there is still uh, that level of, of care about what happened and that every year on October 27th we think about it and that if there's anything that comes up uh, that, that might trigger the, the thought of it, that might trigger the memory, that you, you take time to honor that because a lot of people across the country moved on and I, I get it and I understand it, but for the people affected, they cannot move on. For the Jewish community at large, they, we cannot move on. And I've, I've been really glad to see uh, that for the most part, Pittsburgh as a whole, as one incredible community, has not moved on and uh, and will not move on and this is this is going to be something that that we all keep with us forever and as even though it's painful and it's sad i think it's important that we do so um massive credit to uh pittsburgh and pit fans and the entire community for really standing uh with the victims in squirrel hill uh at, at tree of life synagogue because i know it's ongoing and there's still a lot of pain there and um, I, I think anything that we can do just to, to keep the memory alive is extremely important. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, Panther of the Week football was ugly. No one from that. It's got to go pit volleyball. Again, they have been rolling. Um, and so they get Panther of the Week yet again. I want to thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Um, if you could subscribe, that is uh, massively helpful. And so wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you could subscribe, that's extremely helpful. You can also continue listening on CardiacHill.com. And uh, we'll be out with a new episode next week after the Georgia Tech game. We'll see what happens. I said earlier, it's got to be a win. Again, thank you all so much for listening. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast.